Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And we are back. Welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. I'm Derek White, uh, author of The Challenge of Blackness and the forthcoming Blood, Sweat, and Tears about Florida A&M football. Welcome back, Lou. I hope you had a good time. Um, it is it is the final fours coming upon us. Uh, did you have a bracket? I know you didn't, but, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no no bracket for me, um, but, I, but I watched uh, sparingly. I, I watched every state game. Um, I only watched them once this year. I like the way Cassius Winston's playing, so I'm going to go – with Cassius Winston and State. And then on the women's side, um, I think it's going to be Baylor and Notre Dame, and I think Notre Dame will go back-to-back. Um, on Baylor's side, I really like their, they have Twin Towers, so I think they'll beat Mrs. Triple-Double. And then with Notre Dame, I'm just going, going, going with experience to beat UConn. Okay. Uh, I think I, I kind of agree with you here with State because I need uh, Big Ten. Every time they win a game, uh, my, it means my Maryland Terrapins get a little bit more money from the NCAA, so I'm doing that. Uh, and then, two on the women's side, I think I'm going to go with UConn. I'm just, you know, they're, they're underdogs for, for a change. And so I think this chip on their shoulder will, um, you know, will, will spur them on to victory to, to show all the doubters that they didn't deserve to be a number two seed. Um, but today, uh, today's our episode today, man, we're going to talk about Martin Luther King, man, because I think a lot of folks are not fully aware of the role that uh, King played in his support and expectations uh, for athletes during the civil rights movement. And given that April 4th is, is quickly coming upon us, um, it's a good time to talk about to have that discussion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so today we're, we're going to we'll talk all about what King thought about the black athlete um, and how the black athlete responded to King um, after the assassination. But before we get started, I want to talk about one activist athlete who recently passed on March 23rd, and that is Clem Daniels. He is an OG activist athlete. And what I mean by that is early on before athletes were, were getting involved in boycotting um Sporting events, Clem Daniels, who played for the Oakland Raiders, was on the front line. So he led um, black players on the Oakland Raiders, so six black players, to, to boycott a game in Mobile against the Jets in 1963. And they boycotted that game because of um, segregated seating in, in Mobile. And they just didn't want to play while, while their people had to sit in indignity. And then in 1965, he was part of the 22 um, players in the AFL who boycotted the All-Star game in New Orleans. Um, and so he's, he's a leader um, of the movement. Um, so, so special salute to Clem Daniels. And it's also um, an opportunity. I know you, you want to talk about some black exploitation films, but just to mention that his 63 teammate, and this is so odd, was Fred Williamson, who also was a black for Trump uh, in 2016. Yeah, that is kind of an odd uh, ending for uh, Fred the Hammer Williamson. But for those of us who study the 1970s, he will always be known as the person who uh, starred in uh, the black exploitation film The Hammer, uh, as well as others uh, during the period. But yes, no, shout out to, um, to, I think it's a great opportunity to talk a little bit about Clip Daniel's life and, and to salute him uh, and his efforts. Um, 
uh, for in the struggle. Um, you know, I should note that he's a he's a product of uh, Prairie View A and M University uh, and historically black colleges, and I think there's something to be said about the role of black college athletes uh, in partaking and, and participating in the movement. Um, so you should check out Blood, Sweat, and Tears to, to get a better discussion of that. Just shameless plug right there. Um, but today, man, let's talk about Martin Luther King. Um, but let's start with when we think about King. What was his, because, you know, this is where your book, We Will Win the Day, I think is is excellent uh, on this and other topics. Um, but what was King's kind of general idea on sports uh, and, his, and its role in the civil rights movement? Uh, so King's a... Um uh, a sports guy. He's a baseball guy. He's a sports fan. And there's two ways to, to look at King and uh, the black athlete. One is this idea that most, the way most people saw the black athlete when it comes to civil rights movement, uh, your participation, your presence, and your play is good enough, right? And so a story I like to tell is of Hank Aaron, right? And so Hank Aaron played first for the, the Marquis Braves, and then the Braves moved to um, Atlanta, right? And, and the reason why Atlanta kits a baseball team is because it wants to look like a modern city and professional sports is the way to go and the only way they get professional sports is if the city integrates but you know as the movement goes on Hank Aaron's worried that he's not doing enough so at one point he goes to um, King and I want to say Andrew Young and and asks him you know what what can I do to help out and King says nothing in a sense just be who you are and that's good enough and what King meant by that was, look, we don't have a lot of people like you in the public eye and the way you are, right, as this kind of outstanding individual helps us a lot. And so that's one way King saw the black athlete. Another way is, is how he talked about Jackie Robinson. And, and if you read his 1962 letter about Jackie Robinson, after Robinson is inducted into the Hall of Fame, you get a sense that King sees an opportunity in that moment uh, for the black athlete to be an activist athlete. I know activist athlete's a, a new term we throw out, but he talks about, you know, um, Jackie going down south, specifically he mentions when he goes to Mississippi with Kurt Flood, Archie Moore, and Floyd Patterson in 1962. Mm -hmm. But he also talks about Jackie in the north and how he attacked segregated schools, he attacked police brutality, he attacked um, segregated housing. So early in, in the movement, King sees a role for the black athlete, but also talking to you earlier about this, you, you see something else in this too. So yeah, I think uh, that one of the things that is interesting about you know sports uh, at this time is that um, you know, King kind of sees athletes as part of this broader discussion and broader role of entertainers in support of the movement. And so one of the things that as an excellent book, uh, Stars for Freedom, that came out a few years ago that talks about the role that, you know, um, all these black entertainers had and the role that they played in um, raising money for the civil rights movement, right? Because we forget that, you know, one of the things that the movement needed to do was to raise money. And I think that he also, going back to your discussion earlier about Hank Aaron, sees some athletes in some role for, for the basic role for black athletes is to be in that particular moment, right? To, to use their celebrity in support of the movement by being successful and showing that black people can participate fully and wholly in kind of American uh, athletic culture in this case. Um, 
So yeah, I think there's a sense that he that that that's kind of King's role and King's expectation on sports. Uh, you know, the general idea of his ideas on sports. But you know, I think all that changes a little bit when uh, Muhammad Ali comes on the on the scene, uh, Cassius Clay uh, comes on the scene, uh, and that his transition to the Nation of Islam, just like Malcolm X, in many ways forms a challenge to the nonviolent direct action, the integrationist logic that uh, that King uh, supported and promoted. Uh, and so tell us a little bit about Lou, a little bit about, you know, uh, King and, and Ali and the Nation of Islam. Yeah, so so there's, um, man, there's an article out there, we were going over it, uh, from 1964 when, when King was going at um, Cassius X at that time. And it's this very interesting time when, when King's essentially like, hey, like almost like a shut up and play or a shut up and box thing. And, and, and you know, what King's worried about is that, you know, Ali, who's, I mean, Clay is going to be Ali, is not Jackie Robinson, right? He's not, gonna, he's not this integrationist. He's somebody who's going to call out integration for what it is. And part of that is his attachment with the nation of Islam. So King gets worried. So, you know, here's this guy who's, who's, who's loud and who everybody who's listening to now because he's the heavyweight champion of the world. All of a sudden, he's out there and he's talking about his now. His name is now is Cassius X. He's part of the Nation of Islam. And King straight up says, like, look, this is not what we're fighting for. You stand for the opposite of what we're doing in this movement. And he essentially says, um, you know, you should spend more time boxing than talking about politics. Um, But then three years later, um, King comes around. And, and, and he supports Ali. And he supports Ali in his challenge um, when Ali stands up against the, the Vietnam War. And part of that is that King sees in Ali something that he wants to be, someone who has that courage to stand up against the powers to be, even when it's something very unpopular like the Vietnam War. Yeah, I think one of the things is, that's important too, right, that, that King, you know, this is his support for Ali as part of King's evolution. Like we talk about, uh, we as historians talk a lot about King's evolution from Montgomery to to Memphis, right? That that trajectory sees that King's politics become more complicated. His experience uh, with the movement, uh, with opposition to the movement, leads itself to to much more radical um, uh, claims and expectations. You know, I always talk to students about, you know, when you want to think about King, let's talk about where do we go from here, Uh, his last book where he really promotes these, uh, you know, things like, you know, guaranteed income and health care for everyone. These ideas that we see uh, on the left, these are are ideas that King really comes to. And I think that his support for Ali, as well as his opposition to Vietnam, uh, both of these things are, to me, signal that this is part. We can see sports and his approach to sport as part of this broader change for uh, for uh, King uh, in his own personal kind of intellectual and activist trajectory. And I think it comes really clear. And one of the things that I, I think when I came into sports history that was most interesting to me is that when we think about black power in sports, we think about the 1968 Olympics, most obviously, right, with where um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos uh, have the black fist up as this iconic moment in black power. 
Um, but this comes out of the Olympic Project for Human Rights, in which Harry Edwards and others are even threatening to boycott the Olympics. And so, Lou, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you know, what King's uh, opinion and stance was uh, of the Olympic Project for Human Rights. Oh, with and hey, uh, unflinching, he, he supported them, right? Um, and so if you guys aren't familiar with the Olympic Project of Human Rights, as, as Derek said, this is that boycott movement. Now, now to be clear, it's, it's essentially all male, and that's the problem with it, and, and, and we could have that discussion later. But King saw this as that opportunity um, to, to use the athlete in such a way that you could put pressures on the system, right? He, he realized at that point the way these young, um, really amateur athletes are talking about the system and about their exploitation that that they can have a mark on the movement in such a way that others can't and so he is helping them write um their statement right he is he's helping them engage in in what they're trying to do and so he is totally on on board with what's going on at uh the olympic project for human rights and also their first major event uh boycott of the New York Athletic Club um, in February 1968. But then, two months later, it's all gone, right? Um, On April 4th, Mm -hmm. 1968, King's assassinated. And it changes America, and it changes in that moment sports. Yeah, what we see in the kind of immediate aftermath of, of, of King's assassination is... This question of whether or not, um, uh, you know, sports will go on, right? Um, we have massive amounts of, of uh, urban rebellions across the country in Washington, D.C., and Baltimore. Hundreds of cities go up in flame as young folks, particularly African-Americans, are frustrated and upset that, that, um, that the, the nation had failed to protect um, this man who had promoted nonviolent direct actions in order to make this place a better uh, better place, right? And so, what we see in the immediate aftermath in the sports world is this entire discussion about whether or not things games are going to be played. In particular, what we see is that black athletes have a particular kind of role and a particular kind of uh, power in in changing the way the sports world will heal and hear and remember Martin Luther King. And so, most notably, the M- in the NBA playoffs. Um, are happening during early April at this time, uh, which is hard to imagine when the playoffs are like in start in June, it feels like go all the way to June. But in early April, the playoffs are in, in full swing and uh, black athletes rather quickly, they play on the Friday after the assassination, but they really quickly move for the Sunday games to be rescheduled to later in the week to after the funeral, which was on the following Tuesday. And some of this about the NBA in particular speaks to uh, the power that black athletes had had really kind of uh, accumulated, right? The NBA is the first professional league in which black people made up more than 50% of the participants and, uh, and the players. Uh, the head of the players union was Oscar Robinson, who used his position to really push the NBA uh, and its players, especially as black players, to honor King's legacy. Um, And shortly thereafter, what we also see in professional baseball, which is beginning to start up at this time, they too delay the the, the opening day 
uh, the opening games of the season. So there's a handful of exhibition games that are happening uh, in the in the window around King's assassination. Uh, and then the beginning of the following week, we see the um, um, the delay of opening day uh, in Major League Baseball. Yeah, um, I would say, too, real quick, if, if we back up, is is when we look at someone like a, a, a Bill Russell, right, um, who's talking about this. They play in that game one on Friday, as, as you mentioned. Um, but he looks at it and he says, man, if I, if I, if I, if I didn't, you know, if these people didn't have tickets, I wouldn't play. They didn't want to play that game. Um, and so there's this sense that they did the wrong thing, but they had to do what was right in that moment. Um, and so they, they went ahead and said, look, we'll play this game, but we're not going to play the next game. I think when you look at baseball, I think they dropped the bag a little bit, um, especially when you look at a team like the Dodgers, who, who are going to play on that Tuesday. So if you guys don't know the timeline, the assassinations on Thursday, um, the day of National Day of Mornings on Sunday. So nobody's playing on that day. But then Tuesday's the funeral, and the Dodgers were like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and have our opening day game against the Phillies. And it's actually the Phillies who are like, no, you know, we're, we're not playing, and we're going to take this forfeit if you go through. And when I say baseball dropped the bag is that they could have ended all this if the commissioners of the league just said, you know what, nobody is playing. We're, we're taking that back from you. Um, one of the interesting things that comes out of this, though, is, is – um, O.J. Rand. Like, I just had to say that out um, like that. Um, <laughs> O.J. and his USC track teammates <laughs> ran on that Saturday. And it's hard to tell what kind of power they had in um, deciding not to run or not. Because, you know, a couple months earlier in February, O.J. doesn't run during that, the, during that boycott of, of the New York Athletic Club. Um, but here in the mm-hmm. wake of King's assassination, he ran. Um, and it's hard to say he wouldn't have the power because he was still OJ. Um, so I don't know politically what he was thinking um, in that moment. But he and his teammates won and they, they looked well um, doing it. The other thing that comes out of this is when you read the newspaper, and, and if you guys don't know, like I have tons of documents on this. Like I, I studied like every city, tried to follow every baseball team, is um, white professional writers really struggled with what was going on. Um, They didn't quite understand what the black player was completely going through, right? All of a sudden, King's Mm -hmm. gone, and you expect them to play, and they don't want to play. And so they do this weird dance where one of them, we were reading um, a writer from Chicago sometimes, is essentially going after black athletes, white writer for for when King was um, alive, you guys weren't supporting him that well. But it wasn't really clear what he meant by support other than, hey, you're not out there like marching in the streets. So, you know, this doesn't mean that much to you. Um, and there's the other people who look at it and we still do this with sports today. And it kind of irritates me as this healing moment. Right. Like the best way to deal with all these riots, the hundreds of riots that are going on in the streets is just to play this game. Um, but what we always know is that it doesn't change anything, right? So even in that year when the Tigers mm-hmm. win the World Series, Detroit still segregated. Black folks still struggle to find adequate housing. They still deal with police brutality. But the narrative is, is like, look, we won a year after the riots. We won, you know, in, in the same year that King's assassinated um, 
it put the city together it doesn't and it and it and it really never well i think also when you talk about these white riders right and this notion that this healing power of sports right that black power uh as a as a as a as a political movement also serves as a boogeyman, right? Like it's to say that like, Hey, of course we, these athletes should align themselves and, and struggle with King, but that's in relationship to Stokely Carmichael, right? So all those articles that you were talking about earlier that we were, you know, in our prep is, is, you know, one of the things that we constantly see is that, Oh my gosh, like, you know, of course you guys should, you know, should, should not participate in the playoffs, um, but you should not go so far as to to, to boycott the Olympics because that would be aligning yourself with Stokely Carmichael. Not realizing, as we pointed out earlier, that King supported the Olympic Project for Human Rights, right? So one of the things that you've done is you've created this false narrative, these false distinctions between black power and civil rights. Yes, that they were not the same thing, but there were a lot more uh, convergences. And we can see that through the sports world as well. And so I think one of the things that we see like in the aftermath of the of the of the aftermath of the uh, 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 of the assassination is the role of athletes in their communities uh, as 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 spring as April turns into summer across the country. Yeah, um, one of the stories I like out of this is two stories that I like out of this. One is the story of Ralph Boston. And Ralph Boston, we talk about the Olympic Project for Human Rights. Um, Ralph Boston is one of those runners who, who doesn't want to boycott the Olympics, right? Um, and, and while all this is going on, he say, no, I'm going. This is not who we are. But the moment that King's assassinated, he, he says, look, I, I'm, I might not go, right? He's saying, look, I, I want to run for the U.S. that I believe in, but I don't want to run for the USA that assassinated Martin Luther King. And he goes off on people for essentially saying what we still say today, that when King was alive, you didn't listen to him. Now he's dead. You, you, you know, you, you try to treat it like he was some kind of hero when knowing good and darn well, you hated him. The other story I like about this is that athletes got involved because they had to get involved and, and calm the city. So there's this moment in Cleveland where uh, John Wooten, who's a member of James Brown's, uh, Negro economic unit, right, industrial economic unit, and, and he's getting together members of the Cleveland Browns, and they're going out in Cleveland. It's called this kind of cool it campaign, and Carl Stokes calls on them, who's, you know, the first black mayor of a major city, and he's calling on them, asking them to go out in the city and stop, like, these riots, and, and it's this interesting thing where we come off saying that it worked. Um, same thing happens in Houston. Members of black players of the Houston Oilers get on the black radio station, ask people to calm down. The interesting thing about that is the year before when you had the Detroit riots, right? Willie Horton goes out there on 12th Street and tries to calm people down and, and it doesn't work. But in this moment, we see the athletes um, doing what they're, you know, what they think they have a uh, responsibility to do and that is use their platform to kind of quell what's going on to slow everything down um and then the next moment and you write about this and you talk about this a lot Derek 
is then athletes getting together and trying to raise funds for um, SCLC. Right. So what you see, I think this is a great point, right? Like not only do they're in the community in the in the in the immediate aftermath of King's assassination, but one of the things you see them fully do is really take on this role as uh, in many ways like the black entertainers had done it during the height of the civil rights movement. And so in the in the in the kind of 2 years after King's assassination, SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the organization, the religious organization that uh, King had founded to kind of be the the uh, political arm for his uh, his activism um, creates what they called a sports benefit committee, and this sports benefit committee will have you know uh, exhibition basketball games in New York and in Philadelphia. They'll have an exhibition um, uh, baseball game the following year in in, in 1969 um, ahead in, in preseason there in which black athletes and white athletes come together and volunteer their time and donate their time and their money in hopes to raise money for SCLC. You have a uh, uh, what they call a freedom track meet as well uh, in Philadelphia in which uh, John Carlos will participate. Um, in this track meet because he too uh, honored and believed in the ideals of King. And so one of the things that you see is that athletes figure out, begin to find other ways uh, to get involved in the movement, not just in terms of marching and not just in terms of leading boycotts, but also in terms of this kind of, I think, under underappreciated uh, point, which is to raise funds um, uh, for the movement. And so this question of how SELC is going to transition uh, after King's assassination is unclear, um, but the but black athletes led by Oscar Robinson in baseball, I mean in basketball and others, um, are really taking the lead and really trying to 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 give uh, SELC the financial footing to go forward and really continue the movement into the 1970s. So so Lou, let me ask you this question real quick before because we're almost out of time and we're going to wrap up. So, you know, one of the things I think that's in this contemporary moment when we think about Colin Kaepernick or we think about the role that LeBron James or Serena Williams and others have played is is um you know, what would King's position be regarding the uh, activism led by athletes uh in this contemporary moment? Um and so what are your thoughts on that? Um, going forward? I think two thoughts, right? Um, one, I think he would totally support them. So there's that, what is that, the New Yorker cover that has him kneeling next to uh, Bennett and Colin Kaepernick. I, I think, look, I, I don't know at, at that age if he's kneeling, but I think he supports them, right? Like he sees this movement um, amongst his athletes. I, I, I think he would be okay with Black Lives Matter. I think, you know, poor people's campaign would have got him there anyway, um, well before Black Lives Matter, right? And then, so I think he would, he, you know, he would support that. This, this, this um, movement amongst these players c- coming out against police brutality, right? He'd probably be ashamed of America, ashamed of America for still having this issue, right, 50 years later. But I think the other thing, and if we're talking about the reality of the sports world, is that he would be upset with how these cities deal with sports. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of public dollars going to building these private stadiums that do nothing for poverty, that do nothing uh, to, to help, you know, poor folks out. It just takes, takes and takes. And I think he would be on the front lines of individuals going after this money grab um, from these billionaire owners trying to build these private stadiums. 
Yeah, I think the stadium issue is, is absolutely uh, one that speaks to the issues that concern King, right? Not just only in terms of the the war on poverty uh, and the poor people's movement that he led near the end, but even the notion of, of segregation, right? That these cities, these stadiums are, are popping up in ways, and, and one of the reasons that they get built is that they are targeting kind of the most segregated parts of their cities, right? I know in uh, in Atlanta, for instance, the new Mercedes uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium that just uh, opened, I believe, like last year or year before last, um, was built, and they had to to in order to build it, they had to knock over a hundred year old black church uh, to find space for it. So, right, so there's a sense that there is this tension, right, that um, you know, uh, communities of color often paying the price and losing tax dollars, not ability, the inability to pay teachers, uh, as well as the, as you pointed out, these billion dollar owners are basically being subsidized by these local cities. Uh, and I think King would be definitely be on the front line of that issue. Um, any last words before we wrap it up today? Oh no, man. Uh, just, just subscribe. If you like what we're doing, subscribe. Um, if you have questions, just hit us, hit us up in the DMs or on, on Twitter, um, or, or send us an email. Yeah. And make sure you, uh, if you, if you get an opportunity, you want to learn about this stuff further. Uh, don't forget to pick up some books. Uh, Lou's books are, are fantastic on, on this subject, uh, and be on the lookout for my forthcoming book, uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears. Um, thank you guys again for listening. All right. Peace. Peace.